after three days I found myself trending in the top three in Pornhub, which is a little girl from a small village in Scotland called Motherwell. I was just, it was just nothing I had ever, ever, ever imagined. Hello and welcome back to Interface. This is the monthly podcast, especially for education professionals, all about the digital world. If you're an educator, we are here to help you support the children and young people around you so you can play a part in keeping them safe, confident and happy in all that they do online. In this episode, we're talking about intimate image abuse. Can technology help combat a crime caused by technology? In this case, to help prevent stolen images being shared online. We're going to be hearing from someone whose iCloud was hacked and whose images were actually published online. The only way you get through it is by focusing on survival and your breathing and talking to those around you. And from one of our colleagues about their work on stopping non-consensual intimate image abuse. The worst thing that, that teachers can do is panic, really, because there is help and support. We'll start with Lee's first-hand experience of having intimate images of herself spread online without her consent. She was supported by the Revenge Porn Helpline in dealing with the aftermath. I'm Lee Nicko and I'm a football player for Crystal Palace Football Club. Um, alongside that, I also work with a company called B5 Consultancy, who work in social media education and protection and prevention. So, hi Lee, nice to meet you. I wanted to first ask you, so... In 2019, there were some videos, your private videos that were leaked. Can you tell me a bit about what happened? Yeah, so it was just over three years ago now. I, it was a Saturday evening and I got a message from a random person on Instagram that went to my message request. And back then, I never used to check my message requests. I wasn't really that into it. Um, and weirdly, I did and had received a message from this random guy. And he just said, there is some videos um, going about of you online. And at first I was like, there's no chance. I don't have any like private videos. But something told me to go back to him. And I said, no, it's not me. And he said, no, honestly, I think it is. So, like, have a look. And he sent me a link. And still at this point, I was like, I'm not going to click on it because I thought it was going to be a scam. So someone could hack me. And then he sent me a screenshot of what was in um, on the link. And my heart just literally, I think it just skipped a beat. And my whole body just froze and... I just went into complete shock and I've never I've never experienced that kind of immediate emotion before in my life and I literally did not know what to do next and it was I was 23 when I received the link but the videos were actually from when I was 18 so I'd had um I had these videos were from what that was five years previous to when they then went online so I was really young. I forgot they existed. It had been on like four iPhones before. I believe that's where the initial hacking came from was um, someone getting into my iCloud that I no longer had access to. I had moved on email address um, from then. And literally, I, I think my life ended that night for a long, long time. Wow. And I can literally only imagine. So after you actually got the initial link and the message from the person, what did it look like going on after that immediately I called 999 because I thought it was an emergency because it was right in my life and yeah I thought it it required immediate attention and obviously 999 referred me to the non-emergency helpline who I called and they just said 
we'll send an officer out tomorrow. And I thought, tomorrow, I've got a game against Manchester United tomorrow. That's This needs sorted right now. Like, so naive. Abs- like, so naive. I just thought the police will be able to get it down, blah, blah, blah. And then I came off the phone and I thought, oh, my goodness, I can't tell my friends, can't tell my family. And I sat in my bedroom just, oh, my goodness, I was Googling the website that it was on. I was trying to find a contact number, contact email to get it taken down. Um, I was then... DMing people on Twitter, trying to be like, my my content's on your site. Like, this is illegal. This, I haven't given consent. Can this be removed? I genuinely thought that they'd remove it. Again, so naive. And then I sat half an hour past and I literally ran to my car and I was like, I need to go to the police station. I need to turn up. Like, I can't wait until the morning. And as I escaped my house, my best friend who I live with, she was like, Leah, you're right. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I just need to go meet my friend. And she was like it's half ten, like, you've got a game tomorrow. Like, she knew, she must have known. Um, and I said, I, I can't say this out loud. And she's like, I'm coming with you. So I ended up just breaking down. And she was like, okay, right, let's go. Got to the police station. As I was walking in, two officers were heading out. And I just, they were like, are you okay? And I was like, no. And I explained to them. And they said, right, this happens all the time. This is what we call revenge porn. And I was like, oh, my goodness, I'm not a porn star. Like, why, why is that? And I remember that clearly. I was like, I'm, I'm not a porn star. And what do you mean revenge? Has someone done this to me? And immediately, that's why I, I personally don't like the wording of revenge porn because the immediate effect that it had on me, I'm thinking that makes me sound as if I've done something wrong here. Um, and I remember being so disheartened and disappointed and getting back in the car and going back to the house thinking, what do I do next? Just count down the clock until the police officer gets here. Police officer came and he just took notes um, that's all he done was just took notes and he left and he said I oh, will be in touch he actually did say to me look these things happen that happened to Talisa like, and I was thinking one I'm not Talisa and I don't care who else this has happened to this is not right off I went I actually went to football and I didn't know what else to do because I was like I need to pretend that life's okay right now whilst this is going on in the background and then that's when I got a message from someone else saying that I was on some weird football forum um, on a link. And I was just vomiting everywhere. I was just shaking. I was grey. And I just thought, this is it. Um, and no one could say anything. No one no one could do anything. It was now completely, that was the moment I realised that this is out of my control and out of hand now. And I'm just going to need to take the punches and... That was an awful feeling because I still hadn't put my family at this point. My best friend still didn't know at this point. And it was like, oh my goodness, now it's time to have those horrible conversations. And the following day, I thought I'm going to call my brother. So me and my brother, he's 10 years older than me. He's like the male figure in my life and he means the world to me. I remember um, I was like, there's some videos that are like, going around and he was like, what kind of videos? And I went, don't ask, use your imagination. Like, I couldn't get it out. Like, right, how bad we talking? And I said, like, it's bad, like, really bad. And his first response was, right, okay, Kim K, we're going to deal with this. And <laughs> although it's not it's not nice for maybe someone else to be like, that's brutal, yeah. but by him humouring me, like, I felt like that was his way of, like, right, okay, we're going to get through it. Yeah, so I think we, we left it a couple more days before we, we told, like, the rest of the family until we knew that it was then trending on Pornhub. It was going about every single WhatsApp group chat. And it was a couple of days later when the newspaper were back and forth um, with the football club wanting to print a story on it that was like, that was breaking point for me. That was like, life is, is genuinely over because my mum reads that newspaper and 
that was the darkest point in all of it was the newspaper being interested. You know, even you said, I relate with that as well because my brother's the man of um, our family and I never, you just saying that, like I can literally only imagine. I wasn't that in secondary school that long ago, but I remember stuff like that was a very big deal. And it was only until I saw somebody close to me kind of experience that, that you kind of see the painful, the experiences that people go through. I wanted to ask, like, how did that mentally, physically affect you? Because I can literally only imagine. It changed everything for me. Um, it changed it changed who I was. Um, it changed who I am now. That's three years on when when I've recovered or I'm in recovery. Um, the physical effects I I couldn't eat for as long as I remember. I was I got to the point after about a week or two that it was like I was force feeding myself because I wasn't meaning to not eat. It wasn't like I'm purposely not eating to feel sorry for myself. My appetite completely went, and even. I remember like what this the smell of food used to do to me. It would make me it would make me gag. Um, so it wasn't like I'm not eating because I'm feeling sorry for myself. I just my body wasn't accepting it. It was constant from the moment I received that message. I experienced panic attack after panic attack, and that's nothing. I I, I was very fortunate that I had never suffered with any mental health issues. I was the life and soul of any party or any social gathering. And that was just to start experiencing panic attacks. And then I could not stop being sick. And the sickness lasted weeks. And the life was completely zapped out of me. And I was just buried with shame, guilt, embarrassment. And honestly, it got to the point where it's awful to say it, but I did just, I thought it would be easier to die than stay alive and go through this. Um, And unfortunately, because... I was I was similar, like I was actually so ignorant to this issue going on in life that any time it happened to someone, I just thought as a celebrity, they want it out there. I never ever for one minute actually thought that a leak was a real thing. I was actually completely oblivious to this crime. So when it hit me, it hit me really, really hard. And unfortunately, because three years ago I was not a public figure. I was not a celebrity. I had a full-time job, nine until five, and I played football in the evenings part-time. And you're lucky that I got expenses. So it was just a passion back then. There was no career out of it. It was just, I'd done it because I loved it. But unfortunately, because it was sex and I was attached to a football club, Charlton Athletic, it made a great story. So I was being treated like a celebrity, but I didn't have the bank account of a celebrity to try and get legal advice to know what to do. I didn't have the money in my bank to go and pay the right people to to do what they were doing. Um, I didn't have enough money to go and get a counsellor, a therapist, anything like that. So newspaper, horrible newspapers writing articles on me. Um, after three days, I found myself trending in the top three in Pornhub, which is a little girl from a small village in Scotland called Motherwell, It was just nothing I had ever, ever, ever imagined. Especially with celebrities, you normally, like you said before, you don't humanise them. So like you said, when you think about people like Kim Kardashian, you don't really think about actually that was something private to her. It's been taken without her consent. And I actually think when I actually was looking up on this more I really started thinking about the consent of it it's not even about the action because really it's private it's really no one's business it's about when somebody's 
kind of their will has been taken away. You've not allowed them to say yes or no. And I think sometimes we, like a society, forget that celebrities do have a say in their lives. And I wanted to ask, what advice would you give to people that have gone through this similar type of situation? Oh, you've you've got to trust me. I thought that I, I genuinely thought I would have been abandoned. I thought my family would have washed their hands with me. I thought my friends would have walked away from me. I had three spokespersons that just like dealt with that group and that helped because it was then it wasn't me doing twelve phone calls and let me tell you, like it just explained it to one person, like broke me into pieces, let alone three, let alone twelve. So speak speak to the people you have to and trusted to tell the people that need to be told and then make one phone call to the family, someone you trust, and ask them if they wouldn't mind, but like speaking to to the family on your behalf because they are able to articulate it more. And that's one thing. Second thing is come off social media immediately. Um literally just deactivate your accounts, every single account, come off of it. Um third thing is do not Google your name. Like even even if you for me I was like, well, no one else is going to do it quicker than I am. It's pointless because it's very, very difficult. You're not going to get the links taken down. As soon as it's out there, you lose immediate control. And you think that if I can get it off this one website, that'll be it. Just don't Google your name because it is traumatising and it does not help. And you lose focus and you go down a deep, dark rabbit hole. And the pain and thoughts that you have during those moments of reading what people are saying on blogs about you, alongside seeing the links but don't google yourself like absolutely not come off social media have some spokespeople that you trust and just allow yourself to feel just weather the storm like honestly like one day it'll get better it took me a year and a half to actually wake up and breathe without anxiety but one day it will get better but you just need to trust in that and just know that you know what, when I come overcome this, I'm going to help someone else. Like, And that's what I kept saying to myself. Like, I'm, I'm going to change the world for everyone else because I, I can't go through this. This is every part of this illegal and there's no support. There's no one can help you. Um, all of those emotions are normal and just ride the storm because one day, believe me, it gets, it gets a little bit easier, whether that's going from minute by minute being in pain to going like hour by hour to day to day and it slowly just it does take a turn for the better over time but it's going to be one of the toughest things that you'll ever experience in your life but the only way you get through it is by focusing on survival and your breathing and talking to those around you yeah well you're a living testimony of that really and you've really done a lot because I did do a little bit of research especially on what you've been doing so you've really used this situation turned it into something really really great so honestly I commend you um so on our podcast we mainly talk to teachers and educators about how they can help the younger generation so what do you think young people should know about intimate image abuse well I think for teachers I think teachers are quite oblivious to how many of their pupils or students will send or receive naked images to first and foremost now mine didn't come from me sending it but go and get the right guidance that you need to get the right people in to talk to your students about this taboo subject that people don't want to talk to kids as young as 11 12 13 about sex about naked images about anything to do with that whilst we are not talking to them about it as adults 
they're making big decisions that could be big mistakes in the future um, because these devices are not safe and the winter cloud that is there forever. Just because you delete an image, it doesn't mean it's gone. It stays in the cloud. So it's off your device, but it's still there. So, And then I think for for teachers and, and people in positions of trust, I think they also need to go and speak to people like myself and other people that have been through other things that are going on in the world and maybe think, oh, goodness, maybe I need to do some education for myself so that conversations in schools are normalised. It's I know t- teachers have their hands tied behind their back in a lot of things, but if we are not talking to the children on real-life problems and things that are happening, then they're going to make big decisions that, that will haunt them the rest of their life. And I think we need to get comfortable talking about these things. And it's like... Um, but just talking from the teachers, talking, educate yourself, get people in. And I know budgets are tight and do what you need to do because you can find the budget if it's going to save someone's life or someone's privacy or someone getting bullied because of this the rest of their life or their future ending at 13 years old because when they're trying to get a job at 21, when people Google their name, it's there. Like There's a stigma and yeah, it's not nice. So I wanted to ask, so the person who actually hacked your iCloud, do you, did you know who it was and did they end up facing any type of consequence? No, so I'm one of very few that actually, it wasn't it wasn't a direct revenge to me, so it wasn't the other person in the videos. Um, so usually it is, it's, it's the other person or someone, an ex-partner. That wasn't the case for me, so then... Can't remember the exact step. So the first big percentage of the time, it's usually an ex-partner or someone else involved in it. It wasn't that for me. And then it goes to a really small percentage of people. It's someone that you may know. Then 2% of the time that this happens, it's someone that you have no idea. And it's, they're usually from organised crime groups. They're usually the, the hat people to make money themselves, to pass on email addresses and and passwords but I actually did one thing we did find out about a year down the line was my email address and my password was part of a data breach on my heritage that I had signed up to when I was 13 so and that was the same email address that had been hacked that led to the iCloud leak and so I think I was just a really unfortunate human being that was affected by this something that I'd done at 13 trying to find my family tree um, but it's hard as well because I've never had justice. I've never, yeah, I've, I've never had answers. And obviously, it's been like a th- three years since then. Mm-hmm. But do you ever have those days where like it affects you? I wouldn't even know how, but like you just feel some type of way. And is it normal to feel that type of way? Yeah, I well, still now. I any any time something's wrong in life now. I suffer from anxiety since this. Everyone feels about the word, but no one actually tells you what it feels like. It feels like you're having a heart attack. Your your heart feels like it's going to come out of your chest. And I'm, I'm gasping for breath. And it's like you're so uptight, but you look absolutely fine on the outside. Mm-hmm. Did sharing your story help with that recovery? Like, How does it feel to keep sharing it? The final part of my recovery was speaking out and taking back control and feeling like I've had my say on it. But it's... It does come down to each individual case. Do you have the right support around you? Are you in the right mental space to go through it all over again? 
I'm ready to have my say because I've read every single comment. I've read everything everyone said about me. I've read all these Chinese whispers that people, rumours that people have made out. Like it's time for me to have my say on it because that's me taking back control. But it look it it changed my world for me. I then got the job that I do out of it. I got a lot more. I've now got my chest out and my my chin up instead of looking at the floor. But that comes down to each individual and your support around you where you're actually at mentally because. It's not all positive, it's, it's far from it. Well, I just want to say thank you so much for coming here today and to sharing your story. I've learned so much and I really believe that it's helped a lot of people as well. Thank you so much, Princess. It's been a pleasure. This is Interface, a podcast for educators about digital and online life from the Southwest Grid for Learning. We'll be back with our excellent guest in just a moment. The Interface podcast is all about keeping children, young people and education communities safe, happy and confident in everything relating to technology and online life. And the other thing to know is that SWGFL, the people behind Interface, have a whole host of support, tools and resources. We also have a number of helplines available. One of these is Posh, the professional's online safety helpline, which is open to any educators and professionals who need support with an online safety issue. Give us a call. Thanks, Jess. And not only that, schools and other organisations can download the Report Harmful Content button to add to their website to support any user over the age of 13 in reporting anything they experience online that they find harmful or worrying. Also, take a look at our 360-degree safe tools. These tools support a comprehensive, whole-school approach to online safety. There's also Project Evolve, an educational toolkit to support digital competency in children and young people. There is a lot available, and it's free. Free is always good, and you're right, Jess, it is a lot. And I appreciate it's a lot for you to take in listening like this. So don't worry if you've been scrabbling around for a pen or you're not sure where the pause or rewind buttons are. You can find all of this information online at swgfl.org.uk. And you can also find us on Twitter and Instagram with the handle at swgfl underscore official. Also, we've put all the links you need in the show notes for the Interface series that you'll find in your podcast player. Thanks for sticking with us. This is Princess the Wow with Gareth Core and Jess Macbeth. Hello, I'm Sophie Mortimer and I'm the manager of the Revenge Porn Helpline at SWGFL. The Revenge Porn Helpline is the only service in the UK supporting adults who have been affected by the sharing of intimate images without consent. And that might include threats to share intimate images or voyeurism or really anything under that sort of broad headline. We give people some legal advice. We talk to them about the law and how that might apply to what they're going through. And then we help them remove their content from online if it has been shared. Brilliant. Thank you. Um we probably hear, and I guess many people listening might hear and, and see in the media that, that this tends to be an issue that we tend to say affects women more than men. Is, is that what you find in the contacts you get? Are there particular age groups or certain demographics that you find contact you more than others? There is a whole range of behaviours that we see and experiences that, that people are going through when they come. But yes, the, the majority of clients who come to us are women. Men tend to be affected more by a very specific form of behaviour called sextortion, which tends to be operated by overseas crime gangs. But in all other types of issue, it is predominantly women. They tend to be younger, but not always. This can affect somebody of any age. 
but often it's people in a current relationship or a relationship that is relatively recently broken down and in a relationship possibly that was abusive or not very healthy and that has ended not necessarily badly, could be badly, but it might just be one that ended maybe even a year ago and then suddenly out of the blue it might seem that uh, images have been shared or there are threats to share images it's a very complicated set of behaviours that we see around these events. Where do you see images shared? Can be anywhere, Jess. Can be on social media. It's often on social media sites, but I would say the largest proportion of content is shared on adult sites, the, the mainstream adult platforms predominantly. But there are lots of uh, message boards and forums sort of out on the further reaches of the internet. That There's a lot of sites that are designed to share this content as well. When people... Because I feel like everybody has different standards of what they would classify as explicit pictures. What's the cutoff on how you can, when you can report someone for sharing a picture? So when we're talking about adults, the law is quite specific about what is included in a private sexual image. So it talks about sexual activity. It talks about nudity, including genitals and female breasts, essentially. Not, not every definition of an intimate image is covered. And it is something that we get asked about quite a lot. The, an example that we sadly often use is we might, we might get somebody come to us who might be a Muslim, Muslim woman and in her community she's expected to be covered. She might be expected to have her hair covered. And all too frequently we have people come to us saying, I'm being threatened with the sharing of a picture of me without my hijab or I'm sitting next to a man I shouldn't be sitting next to. And, and we have to accept that there can be really severe consequences to somebody of having an image like that shared widely in their local community. But sadly, that doesn't fall within the criteria of the law as it relates to private intimate images. But, but the reality is that having those images shared can be enormously damaging we have a sister service in my next plug this week for our sister service report harmful content and they deal with people who are having content shared which might be legal but harmful so and it might encompass bullying or harassment or online abuse and they've often had some success working with platforms to get that sort of content removed Ordinary person listening to the podcast is going to sit there going yeah so well bad stuff happens to some people it'll never happen to me um, unfortunately, I think a lot of people think it will never happen to me. And and unless you don't engage with the internet, uh, th- there is always a, the chance that it might happen to you. I think it's a mistake for us to think that the sharing consensually of intimate content isn't a part of relationships now in the 21st century. I think it's completely normal and healthy uh, activity for couples uh, there's not absolutely nothing wrong with it. But unfortunately, sometimes things go wrong and that might be because a relationship ends badly and one party decides to behave uh, in a way that they shouldn't. But then there are also people who are affected by the hacking of devices. A phone might get stolen. There are all sorts of ways that this content can get out, but it can affect anyone because this is something that is a completely normal activity. Yeah, that's something I think sometimes we struggle to get our heads around, right? Particularly when for if we're th- I'm thinking about educators that listen to the podcast, that are working with children and young people. And for a long time, we have taught that you've got to be careful what you share online, right? You share it online, it's going to be there forever. And yet, and there's this overriding sense that some behaviours are not acceptable, that they are shameful, that they shouldn't happen, and, and that grown-ups don't do these things. And yet, they do. 
<laughs> I think I think you're right, and I think that there's a there's a real divide between um, the generations that um, have grown up with a mobile phone in their hands, virtually from the pram, and the and the ones who who haven't. So I think we approach these things very differently. But I think it's really important to understand how the taking of images and they, they, that is part of every aspect of people's lives now, and and that includes people's uh, emotion, emotional relationships and their sex lives. And there's nothing wrong with that, but it's just for those hopefully minority uh, occasions when things go wrong that there needs to be some help available. When I was younger, we grew up on the whole idea of not to take pictures. Like, that is bad. It was just like, if you do take a picture, it's definitely going to get shared. Um, But to hear you say that actually it is a normal thing to do and you're saying it's, it's not really like a bad thing. However, is there any way that you could like know that when you're going to take a picture like that that it's going to get spread or is there any advice that you could give to kind of when you send a pitch like that how can you ensure that it's you know you're giving it to the right person and you're doing it in a safe way because that's always something that I've always wondered because we always grew up with taking any form of picture and sending it to anybody is a bad thing and if you do send it it is your fault if it gets shared around because you did that. Oh, that's a really good question, Princess. I think it's really important to note that there is a difference between these sorts of images of over 18s and under 18s. And if you're under 18, it is a criminal offence to take and share these sorts of images. And we're talking about private sexual images. So absolutely, when you were still at school, and if that's what your teachers told you, then they were absolutely right to tell you not to do it. But I think... I think we're in a different world now for over-18s, for adults. I think the sharing of images is very much part of people's relationships. And and that was something that only became more common during the pandemic, during lockdowns. It became a part of, of how relationships worked when people couldn't be together. And the way we live our lives has changed with the advent of the smartphone and and cameras and the internet to hand all the time. And I think we just need to recognise that that is the reality very, very commonly we hear, we have clients who come to the helpline who say, well, I went to the police because my images have been shared. And they said, well, if you hadn't taken it in the first place, it wouldn't have happened. And I don't think that's an appropriate response. I think you need to look at the perpetrator's behaviour. It's the person that shared it because actually that's where the crime is. If you're an adult, it is not a crime for you to share that sort of content consensually. But it is a crime uh, to, to share it without somebody's consent. And I think it's really important that um, we we notice that marker that's been laid down by government in law of saying, that's the illegal behaviour here. It's not the consensual sharing. That's fine. It's, it's doing something like that without consent because it causes harm. And even if that isn't somebody's intention, the damage that that can inflict on somebody's life, not just today or tomorrow, but potentially for a long time, I think it shouldn't be underestimated. I think prevention is really difficult. I think it would be it's always going to be very wise to to think twice before you share an image of yourself like that and maybe be just question yourself as to whether you trust that person. My husband knows my bank details, but if we split up, I wouldn't expect him to plunder my bank account or plaster those details all over the internet. And I think the same is true around any private images that anybody might have. You share things with the people that you're in private, close relationships with that you don't share with other people. And that should be it's out of bounds when that relationship ends as much as it is anything else. But it's also like, I mean, you were talking about things like hacking and other reasons why images might get shared, right? Not just the jilted lover type scenario. I'm, I'm sure I've heard you in the past say it's revenge porn helpline 
but it's not revenge and it's not porn. Yeah, that's absolutely true, Jess. And it's something I say with boring regularity. It's not revenge and it's not porn. And despite the name of the helpline, it's really unhelpful language. And these words are important. Just the use of the word revenge, that makes it sound like someone has done something wrong. And that's not what we see here. And this is not pornography. So the word porn has no place here either. Pornography is commercial. It's consensual. It's for adults. So it it has no place being applied to private content that's part of somebody's personal relationship. But you're right, hacking is definitely something that we do see. I think it's not as common sometimes as people think. I think people sometimes come to us and they say, I've had my phone hacked and my images have been shared. And actually, if you dig a bit deeper, that phone wasn't hacked, but that's an easier thing and and a safer thing for somebody to believe than to think that somebody they are or have been very close to would do that to them. But there's no doubt that it does happen. We know there have been some very famous iCloud hacks where content of um, people with a high profile or or celebrities have had content shared. Uh, It does happen, but more often than not, there there is an individual behind that. So, Sophie, as you rightly said there, then maybe revenge porn isn't isn't the best word. And I guess we as professionals, we tend to talk about non-consensual intimate image abuse, which is my lovely little segue into talking about Stop NCII, because that's something that we definitely need to talk about. Would you like to explain how you've been involved in that and, and what that aimed to do? That was a beautiful segue, Gareth. Thank, Thank you. you for that. <laughs> Stop NCII is a new initiative that we're really proud of here at the Revenge Porn Helpline. And I think it represents a real shift in the way that we're going to approach um, dealing with uh, cases of intimate image abuse. Uh, what Stop NCII.org is, is a new platform la- launched at the end of 2021. And it's a platform where, where people can go and they can create what's known as a hash of their intimate images. And a hash is like a digital fingerprint. It's creating an impression of that image, but it is not that image itself. That hash is then uploaded to a central hash bank, and it's then shared with participating partners who will use it to identify and locate that image if it has been shared on their platform, or they will hold that hash in case somebody tries to upload that particular image to it. And the really important things to note about StopNCII.org is your private sexual images never leave your device. Nobody else ever sees them. It is only that digital fingerprint that's created on your device. That's the only thing that is shared outwardly with the bank. That hash cannot be reverse engineered. Somebody can't get that hash and turn it back into your private picture. They can't identify you from it. They won't see it. It's not. It's just not possible. The tool is available to anybody in the world. You can use it on a laptop. You can use it on a phone. You can use it on a tablet. And it doesn't matter where you are. Currently, our participating partners are Facebook and Instagram. But we're having a number of conversations with other platforms because the, the vision here is that this is, this is um, a bank of hashes that will be available across industry. And that's social media, that's message boards, that's the adult platforms, that they will all sign up. They will take these hashes and they will stop the sharing and resharing of this content. I think technology can really help us solve this problem and they can stop this content in its tracks. And I think that's really powerful. I think that's a fabulous gift to put into the hands of everyone. Literally everyone in the world will have this available to them. That's that's amazing. Thanks for explaining that, Sophie. And, and isn't it a lovely example of how we can actually use technology to solve a problem 
that technology has also facilitated at the same time, which feels like some form of justice, I think, in my mind. I've got a bit of a technical question. I don't know how far you can answer it, but obviously you could, you could hash an image, but then someone might crop it or they might change the colors or they might try to Photoshop it in some way. How robust are those digital fingerprints in terms of image manipulation? Inevitably, the answer to that is it depends. So we're using two different forms of technology for uh, still images and for video because this works for stills and video. So the technology for stills has a little bit of flex to it. So if it was a, a fairly small crop, perhaps, or a very minor edit, then there's a very, very good chance that the hash would still work for a slightly altered image. For video, that for various technical reasons, that has got a little bit of le bit less flex. So we would always encourage people to, if they have different versions of that image or, or different, so say a screenshot or a, a very specific shot, then we would say, do all the versions that you can because that will give you the most protection. But unfortunately, the reality is that if somebody puts um, a, a sticker over the person's face but still shows the rest, then it's very likely that the hash won't pick that up. That said, if they're, if they're in a batch of images, then th that might get the others will get flagged. That might then come to the attention of the moderator of the platform and it will get you know, it'll get picked up somewhere else and it will get to the bank, but it just might take longer. But if anyone becomes aware of multiple images, always hash them, hash everything you can lay your hands on. We're very optimistic about how this is going to be deployed. So so obviously our listeners are mainly educators or they might be teachers who work in schools. They might be sitting here thinking, okay, so this is all great and this is amazing stuff that's out there and there's, there's clearly ways that, that adults can get help on this. But but what about young people? What about the young people I work with? What if this is an issue for them? What what can I do about this? Do you, do you have any kind of advice or thoughts of what, what schools can do to support young people? Well, I definitely encourage any teacher or educator to, to reach out for help. If they don't know what to do, if a young person comes to them, then reach out to someone who does. And I know a really good helpline that can help with that called the Professionals Online Safety Helpline. Hey. So that's a good place to start. Go. <laughs> <laughs> that was, so, you know, do my, do my bit for my colleagues. But, <laughs> but the resources are there. Um, and I think the, the worst thing that, that teachers can do is panic, really, because there is help and support. Um, and, uh, and actually, the, probably the first response I'd say is, don't tell that child that they shouldn't have done it in the first place because that's not what they need to hear right now. They need some help and reassurance that there, there are services that can support them, whether that's Posh, whether that's Childline, whether that's the Internet Watch Foundation, there are resources and, and help available. So maybe you need to talk to them about what, how do you want them to behave when they're adults? You want them to have healthy relationships, but you don't want them to think that sharing intimate content without consent is okay because it's really, really not. You need to tell them the law. They need to know that it's illegal to share this content like that. So I think there's just some very simple things, but for teachers, don't panic. If you're not sure, get some advice and help from professionals and 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 reassure that young person if they, they've had their content shared that there is help available. Great advice. Thanks, Sophie. Uh, and in terms of sort of other stuff, did you think schools should be doing more talking about this more maybe than perhaps they are? You, you mentioned obviously consent, you mentioned healthy relationships, and that is something that, that many schools have been talking about for years, but are starting to do, you know, more on now and are, are kind of made to do more via various curricula and stuff. But is this is this a conversation that, that schools should be having a lot? Yes. So that they're really sort of talking about these issues? Yes, I really think. And I, and I hate to burden schools because they, they already carry so much responsibility for everything. But I think it's the only way we're going to, to get any sort of consistent messaging to 
to the vast majority of young people in school is if that's delivered by school in a in a responsible open uh, way we need we need young people to know that they've got somewhere to go if they're affected by these issues somebody that that understands them and knows what help is available and can have a, a, a safe open conversation and not that's not true that everyone can do that at home not everybody has a relationship with their parents where they can have that secure conversation so unfortunately I think sorry teachers but I think it's falling to you again to, to give that guidance and that support um, and that's probably the best place to do it. You kind of mentioned earlier on about the sort of gender differences potentially in terms of um, intimate image abuse. And I was wondering about, so if you could tell us a little bit more about that and where kind of sextortion applies and just as with trends and things, what's happened as a result of the pandemic? Because I know there have been some some changes in behaviour, haven't there? Yeah, abs- absolutely. The, the pandemic and the impact of that, really that very first lockdown changed what we were seeing hugely. And I tend to think that it's not that we started seeing things new as we just saw more of the iceberg that was already there Um, because numbers of cases coming to us and numbers of images both went through the roof in those early weeks of the lockdown and although it's plateaued a bit since um, I think there's various reasons for that around some other technologies that we're using but numbers have stayed really really high Um, and there was a, a great deal of awareness raised about the sorts of issues that we were seeing and the help that was available for people. Just to kind of finish off then, if you had, I know it's hard to get it down to one top tip, but if you had one top tip for, for the educators listening, have you got an idea what that might be? Oh, listen to what you're being told. Don't rush to judgment. Listen and give that person what they need. That is amazing advice, I think, for anyone in any situation. Thank you, Sophie. It's It's been wonderful to talk to you. Thank you so much for your time and coming on the podcast. You're and uh, keep up the good work because you're doing a fantastic job. Oh, Thank you so much and thank you for having me. Thanks, Dan. Thank you to both Sophie Mortimer and Lee Nicholl for chatting with us. Uh, we haven't got Jess for this discussion, but wow, Princess, your conversation with Lee was was incredibly moving. It must have been a really difficult one to record and talk about. Yeah, I found it quite moving because it was very emotional, especially relating to her because she has a brother and I have a brother as well. And when she was talking about, you know, telling telling him about the situation and you kind of forget that when people go through these type of situations, it's not just about them. It affects, you know, other family members, which I really hadn't thought about. Yeah, and... You know, listening to her story, it, it made me feel, gosh, imagine if I had to turn around and tell all the members of my family and then tell all my work colleagues. And yeah. that idea of having to constantly retell what's happened to you because people want to know and they, you know, they care about you. They want you to be OK. Yeah. But the almost like the trauma of having to do that over and over again. And when she was talking about that moment as well, where she realised that her images were out there and, you know, someone had sent her a message saying, go look here for these videos. I was kind of there with her. My, I felt almost like my heart kind of like stop and and me kind of clench up too. It it shows just the impact of it. It's huge. Yeah. And I had to commend her as well. I kept saying because, you know, saying the story is also, it must be kind of hard to say that as well. So I think she's really, you know, brave doing what she's doing and sharing her story to help other people that might be going through um, a similar situation. Yeah, absolutely. And she gave some some really good bits of advice there in the interview. And one of them was that idea of going off social media, which I think it's good to clarify, because she didn't mean sort of being banished off social media for the rest of your life, but instead, you know, maybe taking a break while that storm passes. And Lee herself is actually back on Instagram. So I think it's really important to, to recognise that if you suffer intimate image abuse, 
If you experience harassment online, you can always rejoin social media whenever you feel ready. The other thing she said that that really struck me was, you know, however hard it is knowing that you can weather the storm, that you can get through this. And I thought, wow, you've got to be incredibly strong to do that. And that must be a really hard thing to do. Yeah, because it's very in the moment. And in those situations, it's hard to look outside of that bubble. So again, for her to go through the journey and still be here and helping other people is such an amazing job that she's doing honestly yeah yeah and as you said the fact that she wants to turn her attention to to stopping other people from being a victim of this type of crime is is a hugely admirable thing and, and fantastic work that she's doing in this area and i think it also highlights the importance doesn't it of the only way she could get through this was through the help and support of other people yeah which brings us nicely to obviously our other interview talking with sophie from the Re- revenge porn helpline about the work they do to help others Obviously, because Sophie's a member of our team, one of our colleagues at Southwest Grid, we know her work very, very well. But obviously, you're fairly new to this and hearing about this. Was there anything that Sophie said that surprised you or that you didn't know before talking to her? Um, I think one of the things that stood out to me is actual just um, intimate images of children under the age of 16 is just illegal. And obviously, when I, I was in secondary school a couple of years back, and I, most, of, most of my friends and myself didn't know that was anything. So when people were sharing pictures like that none of us even thought about reporting it to anybody because we didn't know that that is a crime and that is illegal you know because with adults it's a different situation also understanding that when you are an adult it's not a shameful thing to to do that it's normal it's a healthy thing to do so that was two main things I took away from that yeah so it's a really good point and and the law is a really complex area when it comes to to children but then as you said you know with adults there's there are less laws about the images that are created but there are other laws that can kick in around mm-hmm. people sharing your images or your videos without consent and and then again that's very complicated and you know i think there are many adults as well who probably aren't aware of what the laws are around this that doesn't obviously give an excuse for for behavior of adults who choose to do it but similarly mm-hmm. hard for adults who this does happen to to get help and support and and you know lee did actually get some support from the revenge porn helpline amongst other people as well but as we heard from her interview too, knowing who to turn to and when to turn to them and and what you need to kind of do to try and get some control over this can be can be really challenging. That must be quite upsetting for people too. Yeah. So Gareth, what do you think are the three main takeaways for teachers and educators out there? Gosh, just three, Princess. I think there's loads. <laughs> um, I guess the first one that's really important for educators to understand is the laws around these kind of images. So indecent images of children and young people up to the age of 18 break various protection of children laws across the UK and and the four different UK nations have slightly different ones. But once you're above the age of 18, it's it's fine then to take a, a naked image or video of yourself. However, other laws are in place there that don't make it okay for others to share that without your consent. And that's what we mean by non-consensual intimate image abuse. So I think becoming familiar with that as an educator, both in terms of how it affects children, but also how it can affect adults as well, is really helpful for the discussions you might have in school. How about you? What do you think? Uh, I think one of mine is to be able to listen to the child or whoever comes to you and not come at them in a judgmental way, but just to listen to how they feel and to make sure that we definitely do not feel like they're at fault in this situation and to just make sure that they feel supported and heard. Yeah, definitely. Totally agree. And there is a lot of support out there for 
young people if this happens to them and as we heard from Sophie earlier from the revenge porn helpline if it happens to adults and I guess number three is that it's really about what you can do as an educator to try and bring around a change in culture so often when we have these incidents particularly when it's always about women and girls in many cases the blame is so often put on the girl or the woman who took these photos or videos and it's never really on the perpetrators it's on the people who who didn't seek consent before they shared it around or posted it on Pornhub or stuck it elsewhere online. And actually, they're the people we really need to be focusing our actions and our messages around, uh, rather than focusing on the people who who may have taken these, you know, in some cases, quite legally. It's about the unacceptable behaviour of other people around this. And I really think it should be the point that we talk about this so frequently, not just this issue, but issues around consent and healthy relationships and peer pressure that we get to the point that these conversations are a bit mundane and boring because we talk about them all the time and they're just a normal part of our, our discourse with children and young people. That would be the ultimate aim, but I, I don't think we're there yet. Yeah. So that's all we've got time for for this episode. I really do hope that you found it useful. Thank you so much for being with us. And you'll always find links in the show notes of all of the episodes to help you learn more about each topic that's been featured. Subscribe on your favourite podcast app so episodes are automatically downloaded to your device when they're released. And we need your help. The more people that listen to Interface, the more chance we've got of being able to keep sharing this advice and support as we do. So please do recommend us to a friend or a fellow educator. And you can find us on social media at SWGFL underscore official on both Twitter and Instagram. Interface is a podcast series from SWGFL, part of the UK Safer Internet Centre. This is Princess of Wild with Gareth Cool and Jess McBear. Interface is produced by Karis Wool with sound design by Joe Cox and original music from Alex Fraser. It's a bespoken media production. Produced by the Spoken Media.